Welcome back to the breakout sessions from the SisterCast. I'm Zoe York. I'm Amanda Young. And this is episode two or part two of the breakout sessions on marketing for the romance author or marketing for the genre fiction author because I think that a lot of what I'm talking about in this breakout session is applicable to anybody who writes any kind of genre fiction. Um, so in the first episode, we talked about the foundational stuff that makes a big difference when you are thinking about marketing. Some stuff we kind of all have to be on the same page for in terms of what the framework of your business looks like. If you have a newsletter, if you have a Facebook reader group, if you shun social media altogether, what are the consequences of that? And then kind of what our goal is, which is crafting a world that will foster a fandom. So we talked about all of that and more in the first episode. If you missed that, go back and listen to that and then catch up with us. So today in the second episode of this breakout session, we're going to talk about backlist. Before I do that, before we dig into backlist, I want to address something which is really common with writers and that's negative self-talk. It's actually, I mean, it's true for all creative types, right, Pan? Like we see this in radio hosts and artists of all kinds, you know, um, very true for writers because um, we can talk ourselves out of a good idea. We can tell ourselves that it's not worth the risk, right? The most important thing to understand is the limitations of observation. So we can look at what somebody else is doing and we can assume a whole bunch of stuff from what we're observing, but we're probably not seeing the whole picture. We're definitely not seeing the whole picture. There are factors we can never understand. There's a history of stuff, particularly in writing. You'll see somebody land a new pen name, land in the marketplace. And you know what? I will, I see people go, who is this new person? What is this debut book? I know that is a pen name. You can spot a new pen name for an experienced author a mile away if you have that as a possibility in your head. But if you don't have that as a possibility in your head, you can think this debut person has their shit pulled together and they're going to just skyrocket and then you see them skyrocket and you don't know how they did it and you compare yourself to them and you think, well, I'm not doing that. Therefore, I'm not as good as them. And that sends you on a negative um, spiral of self, self-doubt self about your plan. So it's really important that you don't let anybody else's success interfere with your own plan. Um, comparison is the thief of joy. Did we talk about in the, that in the first episode? No, we just talked about that. Ah, maybe, maybe we, we did. did. Well, we're probably going to talk about it in every episode. We did, we did, we did, we did. Because yes. it's one of the guiding principles in my in my business is that I try really hard to not compare myself to other authors. Um, I try and I fail. Just today, I had a conversation with one of my reader best friends um, where I admitted that I was jealous of somebody else's marketing plan because we are all human. But that's not productive, right? So you got to keep your eyes on your own page. Look at what other people are doing so that you can get ideas but they are ideas for you to mine to make your own, not to copy, okay? Um, there's also another element of negative self-talk 
which can put up roadblocks to success. And that is that there's a big difference between that doesn't work for me and I haven't figured out how to make that work for me yet. Ooh, right. right. That's a good one, right? So that is not my own lesson that I have learned. I learned that, I heard that from Sky Warren, who's a genius author. And she, it was an observation that another author, Annika Martin, made to her at a conference. Annika saw um, the difference between the people in the audience and the people on the panel. All around, they were talking about Facebook ads and all around her, people were going, were murmuring, yeah, Facebook ads just don't work for me. And on the panel, people were saying they didn't work for me at the start and here's how I made them work for me. And the difference is whether or not you see a failure as an end judgment on a, on a plan or a first step to figure out how do you make something successful. Right. So there's a big difference between that doesn't work for me and I haven't figured out how to make that work for me yet. If you always think the second way, you will figure out a way to make X, Y, or Z work for you. Finally, we tell ourselves narratives that reinforce our current situations. We will tell ourselves stories that justify the inertia of where we are right now. If you want your situation to change, you must change those narratives. You must tell yourself, I'm going to do something differently because it is to my advantage. You must convince yourself that the change that you want to achieve is more important than staying right where you are. If you, if there is a kernel inside you, deep down inside, that is saying, well, maybe there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing, right? You will not change. You will not do anything differently. Because that, that narrative deep inside you will overwrite any, you know, like your, if your heart says, oh, I don't want to change. And your brain is like, you know what, maybe we should change. The heart is always going to win that argument. So you got to really want to change. And then you got to um, tackle those internal narratives, those little quiet voices that completely trip us up. Okay, so if any of that is resonating for you, if any of that is making you feel slightly uncomfortable and you recognize yourself right now, that's okay. As I just admitted, I was there like earlier today. We're always there. It's a constant battle, but don't get, don't let yourself fall into any of those traps. Okay. So now backlist. So at the end of the first episode, I asked you to do some homework. I asked you to write down a list of all of your projects, all of your ideas, group them thematically. If you haven't done that, pause the podcast now, go and do that, right? Come back with that list of ideas in front of you because I'm going to walk you through now a catalog assessment of both those books that you've written to date and the ideas that you have a little bit in the future, all right? So a strong catalog of books looks like a depth in similar products, multiple entry points, a low barrier to entry, and by that point, by that I mean a low financial point to entry. So if all of your books are with a traditional publisher and they're all priced $9.99 or $14.99, that is not a low barrier to entry. Um, and, and finally, packaging that signals where the book sits in the virtual bookstore. So I'm going to go through each of those four points in a little bit more detail. Um, 
I'm going to start with the last one, packaging that signals where the book sits in the virtual bookstore. Now, when you wrote down your, your list of ideas, you probably didn't cut and paste little covers and, and glue, them onto the, <laughs> glue them onto the page. So you might need to go and look at um, either your Amazon storefront or if you have a, a file on your computer that has all of your covers, look at all of your covers. Um, one, are they cohesive? Do all your covers, first of all, look like all your other covers in at least one way? The way that I would like them to be similar is your name, right? Because your name is your brand stamp. So at a glance in the, you know, one-tenth of a second that somebody catches a glimpse of the cover on social media or on a retailer website, do they know that it is your book? If they have read one of your other books, this book, will they immediately know it's yours because of your name? Does is your name big? Does it pop off the covers? This is a key takeaway that we get from historical romance authors. Their names are big. They take up half of the cover. They stand out. Um, logos also, like if you write in romantic suspense or you write in military romance, it's worthwhile having a logo, um, a a brand stamp that jumps off the cover and promises your readers this is like all of your other books, right? Um, but you also want to compare your books to other authors who write something similar to you. And to do this, the, the best thing to do, and or, or get a friend to help you if you don't know how to do this yourself, is to make an array of covers. Grab the covers that you want your book to be shelved next to, put it on your computer, in Microsoft Paint or, you know, Photoshop, whatever you have, do it in Canva online if you don't have a anything on your computer. Put all the covers around kind of the outside of a box and put your cover in the middle. And then talk honestly and critically about all the ways that your cover is not like the others. Talk about all the ways that all those other covers are the same and then how how is yours different? Then think about budgeting either your time or your money to rebrand your backlist to be more consistent with all of the other products you want it to sit next to in the storefront. Now, when I say um, budget your time and money, I'm going to come back to this a little bit later. No, you know what? I'm going to talk about this now. A key rule when when doing any of this backlist analysis is that front list, new writing, should always be your number one work task, unless you're unable to write. If you are sick, if you are going through a period of stress, if you're traveling, if you're maybe counting down to a release, or you've just gotten over the rush of a new release, or you're waiting for edits, those are the times when you want to tackle some backlist admin and get it earning you some money again, right? You do not pause writing a new book to do any of the things that I'm talking about in this episode. We're going to talk about new material in the next episode. Um, and so if at this point you're like, oh, I should stop what I'm currently doing on my new work in progress. No, keep writing. But when you finish the book that you're currently writing, that's when you come back to this episode and you tackle this backlist um, assessment, the catalog assessment, and you start revamping the other stuff. Also, 
backlist revamping is not um it's not time sensitive those books are already out um it's not something i would dump a huge amount of money into until you start earning some money off that backlist i would want backlist regeneration to pay for itself so maybe you start with one series you rebrand one series you get a book bub on the first book in that series um and then when you've earned some money from that, then you repeat that process with the next one. Which brings us to the very first point. Remember I talked, there were four things I want to see in your catalog. Depth in similar books, multiple entry points, low barrier to entry, and packaging that signals where the book sits in the virtual book bookstore. So we've talked a little bit about packaging and how probably everybody listening to this is going to have to take a hard look at the books that they have, the product that they have, and, and repackage it. That's also, by the way, something that everybody needs to do every couple of years all publishers do that with their mm -hmm. with their backlist books they put out new editions and you, you have a question no i have a comment i remember when uh they re-released annie mm -hmm. those annie um of avonlea oh Anne of avonlea yeah and they made her yeah. a blonde instead of redhead yeah i know <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah now that i've totally derailed your train of thought no yes. that's okay so um so you might be sitting there listening to this podcast going, but Zoe, I don't have all these series that you want me to rebrand, which brings us back to the first point, which is depth and similar books. So your catalog might be, oh, hang on a second. You had a question at the end of the last episode, which I said, yeah, we're going to talk about that example. Okay. We're going to talk about that example next, if you can find it in your notes or yeah. if you remember what it was. Okay. So depth and similar books. If you are one, if you are the person who is listening to this podcast and you are saying, well, I have a whole bunch of different things. I tried science fiction romance for two books and then I jumped to paranormal and now I'm trying my hand at contemporary and you have four or five first in series books. Maybe you wrote a second book in one series. None of them really went anywhere. And so you didn't continue the series. That is a major pitfall. That's something that you want to fix, which means that's an area you're going to have to pick one of those brands because those are all different brands. You're going to have to pick one of those brands and that's where you're going to focus some front list creation, which we're going to talk about in the next episode. Um, but that is that you underline that in a big red squiggly um, with a big red squiggly line. If you have it, you know, if you have your series kind of mapped out, circle the ones that you are most enthusiastic about. Enthusiasm is the most important element to success. Um, and then figure out kind of your next task is not rebranding. Your next task is new word production. And also if you are somebody who is a brand new author and you're listening to this and you're like, your head is exploding because you didn't know it was this complicated. It's, it's okay. Take a breath. Um, you're going to want to, if, if you are, you have, don't have your first five books yet. So your homework was to come up with your, you know, what are the next five books that you want to write? And they were all different this is this is to your advantage to have this conversation now because I don't want you to write five completely different books. I want you to pick the one that you're most enthusiastic about and thematically create a backlist that is similar to that. Which which story do you want to tell over and over again? Because what we see is that successful authors, successful genre fiction authors tell the same story over and over and over again. It is a story that they never tire of telling. And over time, that shifts, you know, you tell the same story for three years and then you kind of morph and you tell a different story for a couple of years. But 
but their bursts of success, their jumping to the next sales level um, happens when you tell the same story over and over and over again. If you are writing different stories with each project, that is because you have not yet figured out what is your core story, the one that you are most enthusiastic to tell. So that's okay, but understand that you are still in an exploratory phase and you have not yet settled into a brand that you can truly embrace, that you can truly be a brand ambassador for, that you um, as your online persona can champion day in, day out. And that often, I, I when when people really struggle with with this point, I bring them back to my very first bit of the homework question, which what are what do you love? What are you most enthusiastic about? Right? Because this has to be something that you sustain. Because as we talked about at the very top of episode one, we must be our own marketing managers because very few genre fiction authors earn enough to justify a staff of 10. Wouldn't it be nice, you know? We have to wear all these hats ourselves. So pick the brand that you can be a most enthusiastic marketing manager for, a brand ambassador for, right? So depth in similar books. What was your question? So that's similar to my question. My question was like, if you have written a couple different books, Mm -hmm. would you ever like delete one? Would you ever get rid of it? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, um, so I have taken down two stories, which were, they were, two very short stories one was 7000 words one was maybe 6000 words they were they were connected two parts of a story but they were lost at the back of my backlist because nobody they weren't connected to any other books they were shorter than everything else so one of these things is not like the other and i took them down because i thought maybe i will revamp them And I think that that's something which can sometimes be a good use of our time is revamping, repackaging, reformatting old intellectual property that isn't working for us. You can kind of make it work for us again. Um, In the end, I I didn't re-release those because I haven't, it has not been yet a good use of my time to put the energy into revamping them, but I don't have them up for sale because they weren't earning me anything and they were muddying my brand. That being said, my first preference for the vast majority of people listening would be don't take them down, expand on them. I would much rather you add words to a series rather than completely remove kind of the non-starters. But if you're like me and you have more than 25 books up, very few readers are ever going to get to that bottom of that backlist, right? So at that point, you can start tidying up a little bit. You could think about repackaging or rebranding, maybe under a different pen name or something if it was just a project that never went anywhere. Um, And that's something, that idea of pulling something down, reformatting it, repackaging it, rebranding it under a different name, people will tell themselves, oh no, you can't do that. That is negative self-talk that stands in the way of you and between you and success, right? Don't let those negative narratives interfere. If something is not earning you money, there you can totally use that intellectual property in a different way to maybe earn you money if you can give it time and energy, right? Okay, multiple entry points. Another common pitfall that I see in catalog assessment is that, you know, it's almost the opposite of not having enough depth in similar books. 
somebody feels very passionately about their brand, a world that they have created. So they have one series of 14 books. And you know what? That person probably has a decent fandom. So from the first episode, talking about fandom being the goal that we build everything towards, this author has that down pat. They are their biggest fan and they have this robust world inside which they can keep writing series or keep writing books for the end till the end of time. But if you're writing the book 14 in a single series, you are not finding new readers, not nearly as many as you would find if you started a second series in that same world. So my advice there is don't stop writing that world, but start a second series. If you have two series, start a third one. If you have three series, start a fourth one. Honestly, that advice does not change if you have 10 series. If you have 10 series, some of them might be done. You know, like you may be only focusing on one, start another one. I see a jump in my brand every single time I start a new project, which is how I end up with 13 series that I have not finished, um, which we talked about in the last episode. Okay, and then the final point is low barrier to entry. And I'm gonna come back to this um, more when we talk about front list creation and what I want you to be working on for your next project because it's easier to create a new series from the ground up based on these principles than it is to look back retroactively and think, how do I change my backlist to be this ideal catalog? Some catalog massaging has to come through front list creation. Like I said, if you don't have depth in similar books, the only way out of that problem for the most part is to just write new world, write new words. That being said, just to loop back to depth in similar books for a second, your books might be similar, but you may not have them branded similarly, right? I often, I, I will often talk to people who they, you know, at first blush, I look at their retailer page and I think, oh, they write standalones and they're completely different. And I say, so you don't write series? And they say, no, I don't write series. And I said, so you write standalones? And they're like, yeah, I write standalones. I mean, they're all set in the same town, but and I'm like, well, that's a series, right? What's the town name? That's your series name. Link those up. Now, that being said, there are some reasons, there are some sub subgenres where launching a standalone makes a lot of sense. But once a book is backlist, leaving it as a standalone makes almost no sense because backlist is driven by connected reads, always. So if you have a bunch of standalones, but they are thematically connected in the same geographical location or even the same kind of core story inside, but they happen in different places. Like my Seals Undone series happens, each book happens in a different part of the world, but they're all Navy Seals. And so I connect them. I mean, like they mention each other by name in one or two, like you might see one guy in a scene or have like a single sentence devoted to someone else. And that's the only connection. The books are all quite different, um, but they are a series. All right. And then, so the low barrier to entry. If you don't have a series, then it's very hard for me to convince you that one of your books should be free because what does one free standalone book get you? Nothing. You give away a bunch of books and it doesn't sell through to anything. But if you work on the depth in similar books and you come up with a series of five connected books and you connect them on the retailer where the digital landscape promises, 
these books are one if you like this one you'll like all these other because they're the same then if you make the first book free readers will buy through the next four books and you will earn more across those five titles than you did before you set the first one free it will pay for itself um it will that title will earn more by being free than it ever will at paid but low the the free is not the only way to do a low barrier to entry a 2.99 or 1.99 or 99 cent price point also works as a pretty accessible low barrier to entry so i'm not going to belabor that point too much we're going to come back to it when we talk about frontless creation um but that's what i mean there so once again, just to summarize, uh, a strong catalog is a depth in similar books, multiple entry points, low barrier to entry, and packaging that signals where the book sits in the virtual bookstore. So right now you have a list of your catalog that you have grouped thematically and you are probably scribbling all over it. I need to write more books in this series. I need to repackage these six books so that they're connected as a series. I need to lower my price point on this book that was a standalone, but really now is a entry point. Um, another point just about the, the entry point to a series, multiple entry points and low barrier to entry. They, what you really want for that entry point book is you want it to be a short novel, 50,000 words, 150 pages at a minimum so that you can get a book bub on it. That's kind of key. Um, do people know what book bubs are yeah so if you're listening to this podcast I really hope that you know what book bub is book bub is the and we're going to talk about this a little bit ah now I think how, what, how, 25 25 okay are you going to cut that little bit out or are people just going to hear this like this all right I don't know how long I wanted these episodes to go I think we're getting pretty close to the length of the first episode um, all right so my final thoughts on backlist catalog assessment. Backlist is king. Um, I think, did I do a West Wing? Did I do a West Wing reference in the first episode? I think I did, right? So the West Wing reference that, that applies here. Did I do the five word answer story in the first episode? I should re-listen to that so I would know, but I don't know. So you can tell me if I if I repeat this. Anyway, it's worth repeating. So there's an episode of The West Wing, I think I did share this, where Bartlett is seeking the 10-word answer for a political debate. This is ringing a bell. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, is that those short, um, pithy answers, they sound great. People remember them, but they're simple. So the one that applies here is that backlist is king right? As authors, you will hear that over and over and over again. You want to grow a backlist because backlist is king. Backlist will continue to earn you money, etc. But backlist may be king, but you're the jester who must keep it entertaining. So we have to take stock of our backlist. Is it working for us? Does it meet those four objectives of a strong catalog? Where can it be strengthened? So what key takeaways do you have from this reflection that might affect what you're going to write in the next little while? Do you have to go back in and fill some holes there before you go off in a new direction? Or will you loop back to that after an exciting new project? Remember, your enthusiasm should drive a big part of what you're working on. Um, you want to think also about the total number of words that you're likely to write in a year and you want to balance where you put those. You also might want to think, 
um, how many of those words do you want to give to each product? So I had a conversation with somebody the other day who had a 95,000 word book and isn't likely to write much more than that again for the rest of the year, which would give her two releases for the year. But she writes dark romance, very hooky, lots of cliffhanger moments throughout the books. To me, that says two duets with cliffhangers in the middle of them. That's four releases instead of two from exactly the same number of words. And it just takes some minor, you know, editing and revision to, to turn it into four half stories. And, you know, that's, again, something that we can give ourselves a negative narrative over and say, oh, I can't do that. I can't give someone part of a story. But you know what? There is a voracious readership for serialized storytelling. Voracious. And if you're a writer who can only write 200,000 words in a year, you need to make those work for you in a way that is not two 90,000 word books, right? You must make those work for you in a different way. If you want to be a commercial genre fiction author, which is what this whole podcast is about. If you're like, my art is my art. That's nice. Go listen to different podcast I love it (laughs) okay um so the next episode um we're going to talk about some marketing toolbox tricks but I think this is where we're going to wrap up episode two which is all about backlist and coming up next is marketing